Hey y'all, Double G here from Fight Game Media. Your favorite podcasts on this very network have been putting up some great bonus content on the Patreon. The In the Clinch podcast, hosted by Paul Fontaine and Ryan Frederick, posted their UFC 270 recap show just hours after that show ended. And this week, the folks from The Wrap are putting up their 2017 Royal Rumble Rewind bonus show. Also, I know that John LaRocca from the Take It Home podcast is trying to get former WWE heartbreaker Antonio The Promise Thomas on his bonus show. Add to the great shows that are exclusive to the Patreon, including my show with John covering 1998 Raw, the Dynamite show with Paul Fontaine and Jeff Hawkins, which goes up right after AEW Dynamite is over, Scott Edwards' five-star Joshi show, as well as the full version of Brace for Impact. It's just $5 a month to support your favorite podcasters, folks. Patreon.com front slash Fight Game Media. everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of The Wrap right here on the Fight Game Media Network. I'm Keela Cash, and I'm back here on a brand new Monday morning, afternoon, evening for you all as we have now entered the Warrior Rumble season officially. It's the Warrior Rumble going down this Saturday from St. Louis, Missouri, and it's going to be a stacked show from top to bottom. Before we get to that, let's do our introductions, shall we? Kicking things off with my co-captain, my right-hand man, and Von Wagner's biggest fan. Back to the show, per the usual. Scott Young. Hello, Scott. Hello, Keela. I'm excited to be back here. It's another exciting week in WWE. Um, I'm just happy that I have the same name that I had last week. That is a blessing. We don't change names around here. We keep the government names strong on this show. And we got a whole lot to say about names as we give Von Wagner a one week exemption because he was not on NXT this week. So therefore, sir, you get no shade from us. You should be proud of that, that you get a one week buy from the rap crew. Also joining us today, back on the show, once again, from Fight Game Media, Jeremy Finestone. And you know what? Your name is still the same after all this time. And that is always a good thing in our books. Team Makeover has reunited. And boy, did I pick a slow week in WWE to join the crew, didn't I? Yes, you did. But not as busy as the first week of the year, but still quite the week for WWE nonetheless as we get ready for the Warrior Rumble going down this Saturday from the Lou. But we got maybe one, two, three wraps for you. We got this show dropping right now and the throwback to 2017 dropping on the Patreon this week as well. So please sign up today via patreon.com backslash fight game media and you would get your 2017 Warrior Rumble review. And Scott, when I look back at that rumble that year and the stat I have regarding the entrance, who boy, times have changed in five years you get to later on this week. And of course, we'll be back next weekend with the Warrior Rumble recap from the 2022 edition. All the highlights, all the lowlights, and who will walk into WrestleMania as the Warrior Rumble winners for the men and the women. And we got our picks coming along the way as well. So a very busy, busy week on the wrap. So I'm looking forward to this coming up to you 
all week long via the Fight Game Media Network Plus and the free feed. So, Scott, before we get into the show, I want to just give you a brief thoughts. Anything you notice regarding the throwback rumble from 2017 as a sneak preview for our listeners out there? Man, uh, one of the first things that really pops out is the crowd reaction. I mean, it's these guys and girls, they, they, they feel like big time stars. Like they just, they feel like a big deal. And I mean, besides the, the entrance way that takes 20 minutes to get down, um, (laughs) everything else on the show, I, I, I mean, it's a, it's a very different look for WWE and just to see some of the guys and, and girls and, and some of the girls too, but just to see where their characters are then to see where they are now, um, to see who you thought was going to do something back then to see where they are now. It's, it's very, it's kind of jarring actually to think of how far WWE really, really kind of taken a dive, man. Like this, if this was happening now, Oh my gosh, we'd be going crazy. It, I mean, good times back then. We just didn't know we had it. Oh man, when I looked back at that show, the memories and the just re- the reawakening of feuds from 2017 and that Rumble match, which which we which we will get to at some point in the very near future. Very tongue tied right now because that Rumble. Let's just say the first seven entrants blew my mind in terms of the stat that popped up. But we'll get to that via the Patreon later this week. But let's kick things off with the lead story, the main topic, which is Mustafa Ali requesting his release from WWE. Scott and I did a workshop last weekend saying which guy from SmackDown needs an emergency push at this very moment. And we both lean with Ali. And then the next damn day around the show, by the time the show dropped, we got the word that Mustafa Ali requested his release from WWE. He wants to do something beyond this space, professional wrestling, maybe get a Marvel deal with Blade. Who knows what he really wants to do outside of WWE. But since then, the request has been denied by WWE. And I'm wondering to myself why. So I guess you have you see value in Ali, but you don't want to release him or use him for that matter. And I think about the calendar, because now we kind of know how these cuts go in WWE these days. There's a fourth quarter earnings report dropping in February. So they can cut Ali due to budget cuts the week before the release drops regarding those numbers. Or right after the conference call is over, they can call up the people on their phone and say, by the way, oh, these budget cuts making billions of dollars. We can't keep you, Ali. So we're just going to let you go. Either that or they put the contract on ice indefinitely, which they can do as well, which they try to do to Adrian Neville, now known as PAC and AEW. So Scott, is after we workshopped all of these ideas for Ali to know he wants his release from WWE and WWE is not going to give it to him anytime soon, Really, what are your thoughts on all of this as we try to help SmackDown get better and somehow they still manage to shoot themselves in the foot in more ways than one? I, I, there's, I mean, there's no real rational reason why this is, except uh, I, I feel like they probably feel some type of way that he said he wasn't going to do the gimmick they offered him. So they were like, word, if you're not going to do what we're going to tell you to do, then if you're not going to do anything. So I, I have no idea why they won't use this guy. I mean, they tried to use him as a heel to lead a faction. That didn't work. Um, that's not his fault. The, the faction was doomed from the start. I said it last week, and I'm going to stick with it. This guy is a top-tier babyface, ready to go wherever promotion he goes in. He can be a main event player from day one. And I genuinely hope that that's how he's used going forward if he does decide to stay in wrestling. Um, 
this is a uh, this is kind of becoming a bit annoying and just uh, kind of ridiculous when it comes to WWE and the fact that they've been cutting people left and right and you know people hold, you know been saying let me go and then they let them go but WWE they know what they have in Ali and they know the potential that he has and how how compelling and how engaging he can be and I'm sure they know the story that he has and the reach that he has and I, I don't know man I I don't really have I, I don't have a, a a lot of good things to say about WWE with this because this is just really disappointing it's just a very disappointing week and that was a bad way to start it off definitely I thought about our show I saw the news and I shook my head and you find out that they don't grant the release like why Tony Storm quit and she was good to go the same day so it's definitely a choice by WWE they sometimes operate on petty but I got some advice from Mustafa Ali start a Twitch channel and get fired that way start a cameo only fans start a third party service and maybe then that will push and compel WWE to let you go because we see the talent is clearly there in the ring and he does so many amazing DIY stuff at home via promos to get his character over and you can't utilize any of that on Smackdown a show that desperately needs a joke besides the main event scene of the bloodline and cameos for Monday Night Raw but we talk about this all the time which we'll get to later in the show so Jeremy as we talk about this Mustafa Ali situation, what are your thoughts on his request to get cut by WWE and WWE's refusal to do so? Well, I'm not surprised that he asked to go. The writing's been on the wall since before he even was in retribution. It just it didn't look like a match that seemed to fit despite everyone wanting it to work. If that makes any sense, they they really just didn't understand what kind of talent that he is. And I'm already speaking in the past tense because I'm going to tell you how this is going to work. WWE is battling battles on many fronts right now. And this is just one of them with their talent. So he got into a fight with Vince McMahon. He's in in the shitter. He's in the doghouse right now. They are going to ice him. They're going to keep him off TV. Probably not going to be in the rumble. If he is, he's going to get buried. Uh, maybe not WrestleMania, but come after WrestleMania, he's going to get released because they're going to forget about the little fight that they had. They're going to have 20 other battles that have come up between AEW and all these other promotions and TV and whatever. And come August, if he wants to wrestle, I have a feeling he will have his choice of wrestling wherever, whenever he wants on a schedule and the opportunity to prove himself if that's what he wants to do. Who knows? There's a lot of people that have left WWE and just wanted to take a break and, you know, collect themselves. I do think that uh, there is a bright future. It's just a matter of time. Uh, The window after this whole uh, debacle right now, the immediacy of it has died down. For sure. And WrestleMania is another day to look out for because let's not forget just maybe three short days after saying we're a family and we're back together, and we love you fans. We fired a shitload of people on a Wednesday right after WrestleMania in Tampa. It will not shock me. It's kind of sad at this point that we kind of can pinpoint the dates of when releases will take place. When the money's due, 
when the money's due, expect cuts. When there's a uh, WrestleMania, expect cuts right after that, spring cleaning. It's really bad when you can kind of pinpoint in your calendar when these cuts are going to go down before I lay a hope he gets free of this contract soon. It's ridiculous at this point. If you're not going to use him, release him. But apparently you see some value in him not to cut him. But even though at the end of the day, we know they operate on petty all the time when it comes to some of these release requests. But <sighs> what you a know, way to start the week. It bugs me out because it's not, they're not going to release him other than any other reason that they're just going to get bored of like not doing anything with him. It's going to be boredom and not like a mercifulness or anything like that. It is all, it's all business and you just got to support these wrestlers if you believe in them. Absolutely. And here's hoping the next time we workshop Scott that nothing bad happens immediately thereafter. <laughs> I, I feel like we just we speak bad things into existence all the time, even if it's on accident. I, I don't understand. I, it's bad juju, man. This is a, it's just so tired from WWE. I'm just tired of this, man. Like, I mean, for a company that needs baby faces, like it's astounding that they just let people go left and right or not even let people go. They just ice people left and right. Like this is the old trope they used to do with the with the wives of the main characters of people. They just icing people. I mean, it's it's crazy. And and it's a bummer because your picker ain't broken. It was a completely sound theory that you had that he was the guy that you could, you know, like put put some momentum behind and be a, a youngish looking baby face that the the crowd can, you know, connect with. They just chose not to. Stubborn. And they have their idea of what they want in a baby face. They must be this tall. They must weigh this size. It's like the guy's talented. I think fans are beyond that. It's not 1992 anymore, which we'll get to via NXT 2.0 very, very soon. But let's get to the flagship show, shall we? Monday Night Raw going down this past Monday against heavy competition, but somehow, some way they survived in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Not a bad show, but my goodness, I have to use my Chad Gable academic scale of curving for this show because some things I can understand and some things I simply do not get in terms of the booking and we kick things off with a non-title U.S. championship match involving Damian Priest and Kevin Owens up until this point this was the best match on the show at least at a finish but the finish was Damian Priest eating his first loss on the main roster since being called up post Warrior Rumble last year and he lost to Kevin Owens in a pretty good match and KO faked a knee injury the referee knew it was fake Damian Priest knew he was lying. The fans knew he was faking it. And then he still loses via a kick to the gut and a stunner. And a part of me is like, why? But at the exact same time, this might be the rare justifiable loss. I've been very mixed on this Damian Priest character. One half Priest, one half Demon. Not quite my thing. But Kevin Owens is so great. He can elevate any gimmick. And these two worked really well together in the ring. And if we get a rematch for the championship in hell, I wouldn't be opposed to a title switch because I think Kevin Owens is more over than Damian Priest at this point. But we'll see where it goes as we head into WrestleMania season. So, Jeremy, what are your thoughts on Priest's streak ending and Kevin Owens getting possibly a title shot at the U.S. title? Uh, you know, I, I was a little taken aback that they did it on a random Monday night in January to kill the the win streak for Damian Priest. But at the same time, if you look at the hierarchy, Kevin Owens is a bigger star. On a one-to-one matchup, 
I want Kevin Owens to win that match. I'd have no issues with Kevin Owens winning that match. And the fact that he won the match without much shenanigans other than Kevin Owens doing Kevin Owens things was honestly an ideal uh, result of the way that they put that match together. I was like, okay, I'm all right with this. I actually heard about the match before I watched it. And then I watched him like, this is fine. This is good wrestling. I am okay with this match and I am okay with the outlook. I think if Damian Priest uh, loses every once in a while, that's okay. Uh, there are going to be moments where booking in service of a greater story, maybe uh, the Damian Priest heel turn of telling a story long term. Uh, I'm, I'm good with it. There seems to be a plan. He seems to be a project that they have uh, committed to. And I am interested to see where they go with it. All right. So on my Chad Gable grading scale, I give this an A in terms of it making sense by WWE logic. But Scott, I saw one of your posts regarding Monday Night Raw in the Facebook group. And you say you don't like when champions lose non-title matches. In this case, can you make an exception for Kevin Owens beating Damian Priest? I, I think I'm in the minority with this. I'm not a fan of this. I, I don't think Damian Priest should be eating a pinfall loss right now until he's losing the title. Now, if this was for the title. I I probably wouldn't have a problem with this, but he should. I just don't. They've done a good job with him of not taking losses, of protecting him as a champion. He doesn't lose as a champion, and I appreciate that because that's something different from WWE. It it made him stand out. It kind of gave him something different. He hadn't been pinned. I just don't. I, I he has to lose at some point. And honestly, I wouldn't have a problem with KO becoming U.S. champion. But I just don't think that first pinfall loss should have happened non-title. It should have big consequence. It should it should be a big deal that he lost. He got pinned. And that should be a huge deal, and it should be bigger than just a random match on Raw. Like I I feel like this should one hundred percent have been saved for the title match for whenever he does lose the title. Uh, but it seems like I'm in the minority on this one. Uh, let me ask you this, Scott. Does it add a bit of dramatic element to the outcome of this feud? knowing that Damian Priest has already taken a loss. And so it leaves a bit of ambiguity as to where it goes from this point. Because Damian Priest is going to be a world title contender at some point. So taking a loss is going to happen here or there. Maybe he would have lost it in a ladder match or something like that. Uh, but is there really shame to losing to Kevin Owens? He's high mid-card, even like up like top-of-the-card level uh, role player in on Raw, like it's not Apollo, and it, I mean, you know what I mean. No, I, like, I definitely what, get what's that. What's the threshold for you that you would have found it acceptable or a scenario? Man, I, I just I don't. I mean, Kevin Owens has lost his last what four or five matches on Raw. I, you know what mm -hmm. I mean. Like he's lost his last four or five matches in a row. I just now if this was Seth Rollins. And Kevin Owens interferes, and that's how, like, that's that to me is different. I know that's a WWE trope, but that to me would at least there, Rollins is is a tier above Damian Priest. That should be the only type of people beating Damian Priest. I, I think Kevin Owens. I I would almost put Damian Priest a little bit above Kevin Owens right now, just because of how he's presented. He's presented as a big deal as a beater. So I, I think if maybe if you flip. 
uh, the the Lashley and KO thing because I have thoughts about the Bobby Lashley Seth Rollins match too. I think if you flip the opponents right here, um, we can come out with we can get to the same point with different endings and or different ways of getting there. I think Damian Priest should, if he's going to lose, it should be to a main event, a solidified main event guy like a Rollins or a Lashley or somebody like that. I just, I don't know if KO is the guy, but I, I get what you're saying because I mean, it's not like he lost to Apollo Cruz or commander Aziz or anything like that. So sure. I, I do get what you're saying. So there, there is no something to that too. No disrespect to those guys, but it's a different level. Right, right. Well, let it be known, if Damian Priest lost to Dolph Ziggler, I would be raising hell. So I can accept Kevin Owens beating Damian Priest. Kevin, at this point, regardless of wins and losses, he is a Teflon Don. He can overcome any loss in WWE, any bad booking, and the fans still buy into him because he's such a great performer on the mic and in the ring. I can forgive this because I know the rematch is going to be equally good, if not better. And if KO wins, then hopefully that frees up Damian Priest to organically get a bit more over with this crowd, which has been the one thing missing for me. And at least for well over a year almost, he got really good booking from WWE despite his endless, pointless, mindless feud. Let me throw the shade right now. When he had to feud with Miz and Morrison for months at a time, after WrestleMania, I could not take it. But at least he was protected via wins. And KO getting the win on Monday, I'm fine with it because I know that eventually the rematch is going to deliver. And if a title change takes place, then at least one man will be over and the other guy can try to find his sea legs in this environment on Monday Night Raw and beyond. And now... According to my Chad Gable grading scale, it takes a nosedive at this point as I have to focus on Austin Theory versus Finn Balor and Vince McMahon via a very edited segment on Monday Night Raw basically threatened to maim and damn near destroy Austin Theory if he did not win against Finn Balor. And I thought to myself, do I really want to see a 76-year-old man beat down a very 20-something Austin Theory? I'm kind of masochistic. Why not? But of course, we did not get that beat down as Austin Theory beat Finn Balor in five minutes or less. And I almost wanted to cry because I keep thinking about NXT 1.0 Finn Balor and where he was a year ago. NXT champion having great matches at takeovers and now losing to Austin Theory. I know you want to push somebody younger and a bit more ready for the spotlight. And I do see potential in Austin Theory. But at the exact same time, I feel as if... Mm-mm. Not against Finn Balor, anybody but Finn who can still add value to your show. But apparently WWE can see that. So, Scott, what are your thoughts on this matchup and Finn Balor eating yet another loss on Monday Night Raw? Man, I think I'm going to be in the minority on this one, too. Um, I don't like that he got beat in five minutes, but... I think this is what should have happened the first time they they faced off. I think Austin Theory should have beat Finn the first time, and I don't have a problem with him beating Finn this time. This is how WWE views Finn Balor, and I've accepted that. Um, you know, no matter how much he more he wins, no matter how much more he loses, this is where he's going to be in WWE, and and that's fine. I think this is good for Austin Theory, though. I, I I'm very high on Austin Theory. I think he could easily be in the main event scene in a year on Raw. I, I think he's done a good job so far. Obviously, I think they see high things in him. I love his in-ring work, what I've seen so far. I, I think the sky is genuinely the limit for him. So 
I mean, only reason I say this because I this is how WWE views Finn Balor. This is where they see him at. You can put him in the main event, fans will get behind him. You can put him against an up and coming guy. He can take the loss, and fans will still be behind him after the loss. So I don't have a problem with it because I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like this is how they view him, and I'm very high on Austin Theory. So again, I could be in the minority on this, but I'm I'm okay with Austin Theory in this victory right here. Let's see if Jeremy makes a hot tag and agree with and agree and agrees with you regarding your take on this because I definitely am pro Finn and anti not awesome theory but just beat somebody else other than Finn Balor. That's all I'm saying. But Jeremy, what are your thoughts on this match and the outcome? Before I uh, before I get my thoughts, let me ask you guys a question. Each give me your answer. How old do you think Austin Theory was when Finn Balor won the Universal Title? <sighs> 14. 16. Not quite. He was 19 years old in 2016. Finn Balor won the Universal title in 2016, almost five and a half years ago. That is how long it has been since Finn Balor has been a top level babyface for about a week on the Raw roster uh, on WWE. It has been uh, hot and cold ever since then. I would highly argue that he has had a better run on the whole in NXT. So with that in mind, it's not nonsensical. They're really focused on Austin Theory and the bloom is off the rope on Finn Bauer. As much as I disagree with that, that is the plan that the WWE has. It is an incredibly dangerous game that they're playing because what they're doing is they are potentially wasting the talents of two stars in the future if this doesn't work out. If Austin Theory does not work out and they've used Finn Bauer to get him over and it doesn't work out, that is double jeopardy for the company. Is it risky? Yes. Could it pay off in dividends because the talent that Austin Theory has? Also, yes. I believe in Austin Theory. I worry that they are going too quick, too fast with him, and that perhaps Finn Balor losing to him in five minutes was potentially short-sighted. But, again, they seem to be committed to these plans with these small video game rosters of fighters with each other, and hopefully they have a narrative that will make sense down the line. That is my fingers-crossed analysis of why... I'm okay, if not totally over the moon with it. I can get that. And I think my main issue is the fact that I see these segments every single week between Vince and Austin Theory, and I get a reminder of, oh my goodness, it's Drew McIntyre and Vince from like 10 or 12 years ago, and he's the chosen one. And Austin Theory had the benefit of being on Monday Night Raw during the early days of the empty arena era, and all of a sudden he gets demoted back to NXT for various reasons at the time. And he found a character and he got better being in line with Johnny Gargano, Canisle Ray and Andy Hartwell. And he gets pushed back to Monday Night Raw and he's in a better spot. But I feel like his character work is not where it needs to be, where it was maybe a year or so ago in NXT and being aligned with Vince McMahon is not the best look. I look at Vince and my God, he just delivers such low energy during these segments. They're very nonsensical. He wants to beat somebody's ass and then he wants to love up on you because you you did what you were supposed to do. It's just very weird. I just think they're out of touch into how you can get a younger guy over on this roster. And Austin Theory does have potential. He's really good, really ahead of a curve of a lot of people in NXT. But just the association with Vince McMahon is giving me bad memories 
of Drew McIntyre maybe seven, eight years before he was ready to come back to WWE as world beater and ultimately WWE champion. You know, I I do want to say I I like what Jeremy said about this could potentially ruin two guys that can make a difference on the roster because if this doesn't work for Austin Theory and he doesn't become that top tier guy um, you do run the risk of of hurting you know your relationship not only with Finn Balor but where Finn Balor stands I know I said Finn Balor can take the loss and the fans will still get behind him but you know if you want to keep using him in the main events like I'm sure they do because they don't have a lot of baby faces then he has to win sometime so um, you know if he continues to lose because they're going to face off at least two more times let's let's go ahead and, and call it what like it is they're going to have at least two more matches with each other um, and probably trade wins so if he and if he loses all those matches that's really going to affect Finn Balor in the eyes of the fans it's going to put him a tier below Austin Theory from here on out and they're not going to strap the Rockets Austin Theory so I, I think there is something to that and I hope there is a plan because the five minute loss I think that's really I think that could be what I think that's one of the biggest things about this. If this if they would have had a 15 minute match out there and Austin Theory goes out there and beats him in a 15 minute strong back and forth match. I don't know if there's this much pushback on it. Uh, What's your gut? Who throws who over the top rope at the Rumble? I think Finn gets him. I think so. I can sense that as well. And then they can continue the feud on Monday Night Raw for the next six weeks as they like to run back matches over and over and over again. But the real test, as Scott mentioned, would be a longer form match because if they had like a 15, 20 minute match, maybe I wouldn't be so upset about this. At least the win for Austin was clean this past week. But my goodness, you don't want to hurt people in terms of booking. And then you want to go 50-50 and you want to protect Finn. Then you want to protect Austin Theory. It goes back and forth and ultimately nobody gets over. And then Vince Blake both of them because damn you it's your fault but really it's your fault because you keep booking the matches and then when they're short in nature you wonder why nobody gets over because you really don't let anyone get loose have a bit of fun and maybe get over as I think Austin Theory has much more potential away from the old man long term but I guess when he stole that damn egg and brought it back and he boosted a number (laughs) post Survivor Series they said well maybe this is a demo we need to go after I get it but the strategy is a bit off to me at this point well they lost the egg so they lost the boot <laughs> i mean you know it's easy it's, it's easy it's easy math they got rid of the egg and then they lost the viewers come on now if they bring the egg back the people will come back so you're saying the egg is a draw come on it's obvious it's it's, it's clearly obvious that the egg is is the demo god Oh it's my the demo god. egg. <laughs> oh my god. It's the demo egg. The I just saw the chat <laughs> stop querying. <laughs> Netflix says, give me that goddamn egg back. Peacock uh, says, get this egg off my screen. If you're gonna show something, show off a peacock, damn it. You know, we funny. can we can be creative, you know, but that's the egg for you. It gave us a two-day run and it just left after that, never to be seen or heard from again. And speaking of something I never want to see or hear from again is Zelina Vega dissing my girl, Rhea Ripley. You're saying to her this past Monday, we did you a favor because we showed you that Nikki Ash is a loser. 
but you're a loser too. Like what is going on here? Like Zelina, Carmella, they're going to be 27 year tag team champions. They are now a tag team division of one. My girl Rhea Ripley is being ganged up on by the mean girls. Now Nikki Ash as well. Like what in the hell is going on here with Rhea Ripley's booking on this show for the last few weeks? Where is the person from 2019, 2020 that was whooping ass? Where is the champion? Where is the rebel? Where is the badass who would never let people talk shit about you and get away with it? The presentation of Rhea Ripley has really rubbed me the wrong way as of late and I am just perplexed by this presentation and I want better for her because it's giving me Sasha Banks and Bailey vibes when the train fell off the tracks for them in terms of the booking for a good two or three years and they did not get back on track until a fucking pandemic so Jeremy please tell me we don't have to wait two years for Rhea to finally rediscover what makes Rhea Ripley a badass and ultimately a champion. I don't even think you have to wait another week. I think in a week from tonight, or we're taping on Saturday night, so spoiler alert, everybody behind the curtain on that one. Uh, I think Rhea's winning in the Rumble. Uh, I think all of these little feuds that she's got going on in Raw are all a distraction to give people the idea that they don't have a real plan for her. But I've long held to the theory that they're going back with Rhea and Charlotte, at Mania again, Rhea's going to get her mojo back. And while Rhea is on Raw right now and Charlotte is on SmackDown, she needs to roll through a bunch of people for the next couple of months to uh, establish her dominance as a top-level hero that everyone's going to get behind. Last year was all about Bianca. This year it is all about Rhea. She's going to conquer the beast known as Charlotte and the uh, real estate that Charlotte has in her head. And we are all going to rejoice for April will be the month of Rhea Ripley and her championship reign. That's my theory. I hope I'm right. Oh, Jeremy, you're such an optimist, having such faith in WWE to know they're going to do the right thing. And I would hope that, too. But I have zero faith they're going to do any of that (laughs) on Saturday. I have no confidence at all. And I want the world for Rhea Ripley. But this is atrocious booking because at least when you look at future rumble winners you do sense momentum weeks before the show that they run through people on monday night raw or smackdown you sense this is a potential warrior rumble winner and i don't see that when my rhea ripley my former champion is just dissed on the mic by carmella zelina and nikki does an ambush attack for the second week in a row and beats rhea's ass and there is no help and there is no sense of urgency from rhea to whip ass accordingly is just very distressing to me so scott what are your thoughts on the presentation of rhea ripley as of late and that she can't kick any meaningful ass on this show against people that are simply beneath her no shade to them well, WWE does not how to book baby faces. And when they, you know, very rarely do they get it right. This is partly why I wanted Rhea Ripley to turn, to be the one to turn heel. Because if she turned heel, I would 100% pick her to win the Royal Rumble. Because I think she would eliminate 12, 15 people to really get over her heel turn and all that good stuff. The final two would probably be her and Nikki Ash. She'll get a couple big, you know, hope moments and all that. Her being a babyface, I just don't have a lot of confidence in it. I do like the idea Jeremy had about Rhea and Charlotte. And I think, I don't think Rhea wins the Rumble. I think she does eliminate Charlotte, though. So I, I think that is how we get to that match. Because I do like that idea. 
But, Rhea, man, I don't understand Rhea Ripley. I, I, I'm going to say it every week. She should be a pillar of that women's division. Bianca on one show, Rhea on the other show. And they should both just be building up and dominating. And the show should be built around them. The division should be built around those two women. And those should be the stars. And a year from now, those two should be facing off at WrestleMania for the title. And it should be main eventing night two. Like that, that should be how these women are presented. That should be the long-term plan for both of them. And it seems like they kind of think that way for Bianca, but what's what's going on with Rhea? She got the big win at WrestleMania and then the follow-up has just not been there. If she was a heel, there would be great follow-up. They would 100% have her just killing people, tossing people around, headbutting people in the face. She would be looking like a monster. But because she's the baby face, they don't know what to do. They don't know what to do with somebody like Rhea. She's a star, man. She is a star you build a roster around. And I just, I don't know, man. I just don't think they see her like that or they would be booking her completely different i i think you should be booking her like a star so i think i could rehabilitate Rhea in one spot in the rumble okay you bring her in say somewhere in the 12 to 17 spot and you know you're gonna have uh maybe carmella in there zelina uh nikki ash they're all in there and they're all doing some type of mean girl thing and she almost gets eliminated and she just freaking snaps and she just turns around and she hauls ass and beats them all sends them all packing and all of a sudden she remembers that she's the barroom fighter she's rhea ripley she's gonna beat everybody's ass in there and all of a sudden she takes names throw Charles Cass out of the rumble and there are still 10 more people to go and she's just running shop over the rest of the rumble. You do that early and then you forget about it for the rest of the rumble. Maybe she goes away for a second, but if you do that early in the rumble and then go back to it later on and not make it be like climax of it, I think it would work a lot better in terms of people's presentation of in a big show this is where a lot of people are going to see Rhea Ripley. They're not going to be watching Raw to see what Rhea Ripley is doing, but they're going to see this, and they're going to see the moment, and everyone who's been watching is going to see this uh, climactic denouement of her uh, uh, Campbell journey of heroism coming back from everything. But the Royal Rumble is when she just she shows the world who she is and reminds everybody on the roster who she is as well. So essentially, she should she should do what Brock did to the Rumble. She should be the cane of the Rumble, but you know, vanquished people who've been bothering her first, and then just not unceremoniously take out Charlotte in the middle of the Rumble to remind her, like, oh, I I, I can still I still know what I can do. I like that. I like that a lot. I have no faith that WWE is going to do that, but we'll see <laughs> next Saturday. And I love your optimism because I'm trying to be hopeful here because I'm a big Rhea fan. I'm a stan. She's a pillar to me. But my goodness, I've been through the Sasha Banks and Bailey push of 2017, 2018, 2019. It was bad. Yeah, Despite I mean, the championships in between, it was bad until the pandemic, unfortunately. There, there are two wrestlers that made sense to me to win the women's rumble and that's Rhea and that's Bianca and Bianca won it last year it to me does not make any sense to have her go back she doesn't need it 
All right. So that is already a spoiler alert regarding our rumble rumble picks for later in the show. Oh, I didn't and, know I was part of that. Sorry. <laughs> just spoiling now. Between now and when we get to that segment, you can pretend that you never said anything and change your mind and I make a prop bet. My mind. <laughs> Have I a backup might. just in case. But hey, it's not a bad pick. You know, I hope the best for her heading into next weekend, but my God, the booking on this show is pretty bad for Rhea Ripley. But let's focus on the main event of Monday Night Raw. And I think we can all agree that when we saw that Seth Rollins would be facing Bobby Lashley in a champion contenders versus championship contenders match, we all thought, why? They don't need to eat a loss two weeks before the Warrior Rumble. Why would you do this? And the main event was pretty good. They worked incredibly well together. Bobby was a bit over in Tulsa this week versus where he was in Philly, saying Bobby who? Thanks a lot, Brock Lesnar. So he was over as a babyface on his show. Seth, you know, we'll get to him later on SmackDown. I'm looking at two parallel Seth Rollins, one on Raw that is a heel and one on SmackDown, which was a fighting babyface that had the crowd eating out of the palm of his hand. And he's a great ring general, kicks ass per the usual. And Bobby delivers this nice avalanche belly to belly suplex from the top rope and then we get the DQ and the Hurt Business comes out there beats down Bobby Lashley then the Usos come out they attack Seth Rollins and Seth loses Bobby wins they don't eat pins but why do we have the match in the first place it's a justifiable DQ I suppose but at the same time why have the match take place in the first place Scott uh, there's, there's no reason to have the match take place in the first place. Again, you could you flip, take Kevin. Kevin Owens is right there. Kevin Owens is right there to take losses for Seth Rollins. He's right there. Like that's what that guy is doing right now. Kevin Owens is right there. Flip that. Have Seth Rollins get a nice win over Damian Priest because of Kevin Owens. Give Damian Priest a reason for the loss, you know, and then you can have Bobby Lashley get a good win over Kevin Owens. We still get two good matches. We don't get these, you know, we don't get this silly DQ here. And then as far as Keela, as far as Seth Rollins and these parallel dimensions, again, uh, Seth Rollins, that one you see on SmackDown is from Earth 2. So that is a a very different Seth Rollins than the one we have here on Earth Six Six. Uh, so um, you know we we just got two different uh, we got two different versions right there, and, and Kevin Owens as well. You know because he was he was very different on SmackDown as well. So uh, that that explains that. But again. No reason to have this match. We we everybody knew what was going to happen before uh, before the even the match even before the match even started because neither guy can take a loss going into those huge matches that they both have where they both could win. Um, so just a silly match that didn't need to happen. Flip a couple things again. Kevin Owens is right there. He can take a loss. Um, it just it's sensible disqualification. Nah, that's that's being friendly. It's the chat cable. It's the Chad Gable scale of grading this show, and I'm trying to give it some credit here. But I do love every week that you say Kevin Owens is right there. Pin him. He's right there. Yeah, I mean, Just do. It. <laughs> he's waiting right there. Like he's literally laying on the ground right beside Seth Rollins. Like I'm right here. I'm literally right here waiting to take this L. 
waving his hands at day one. Hey, don't pin Biggie, pin me. I'm right here. Hello, right here. That is true though. Kevin, when all else fails, pin Kevin Owens. He'll be okay. And as I mentioned, he's a Teflon Don. And that is Monday Night Raw in general. So Jeremy, what are your thoughts on this main event? Did you find this DQ to be sensible or dumb? I'm trying to be fair here because in WWE, I got a grade on a curve sometimes. You know, I'm trying to figure out what led to the circumstances in which the people in the back said, you know what we should do? We should put both of our number one contenders for both of our top titles in a match that neither one can afford to lose and neither one will lose. Genius! (laughs) No. Uh, It should have, in my mind, been some type of odd couple tag match where you have Bobby Lashley and Seth Rollins and... You find a couple teams on the thing to have a feud with, hurt business. Hell, bring the Usos in, make it like a three-way tag team tornado match, whatever. And have them start trading finishers on the other guys. Do stuff to make them look strong. You didn't have to do this. You could have had them win and beat other people uh, on the show. They do it all the time otherwise. So why not now? Uh, It didn't make a whole lot of sense how they did it. But for the plan that they had, cool, fine. We know what the end goal was. Anyone who's been watching WWE knows that you're getting probably a DQ finish or two with your big stars. They don't like to beat their big stars. They just don't. They don't. And we wonder why book the match? Why make it so hard when you control the narrative? At least Bobby looked good whooping ass as we finally kill off the hurt business, unfortunately. And I can wonder what role they're going to play at the Warrior Rumble on Saturday. I can only imagine what they're going to do to Bobby to try to sabotage him during this match against Brock Lesnar. We'll see. But I guess they crashed the way in, perhaps. Maybe they're in charge of checking the scale and make sure they don't pull a par white. Make sure we get those numbers right on that scale. Make sure it's accurate and we don't delay the segment. I'm hoping. I'm hoping. Mm. And... (laughs) Hey, if the scale doesn't break, it's a success in my book. And now I dread it. But now it's time to discuss NXT 2.0. Yeah. And (laughs) yeah, indeed. And speaking of that, yeah, in particular, L.A. Knight, this dude is finally living his fantasy of being Stone Cold Steve Austin. He came out there with the boots, the jeans, the chain, the complete accent, the walk, the talk, all of it was Stone Cold Steve Austin, possibly one of the more, more most over guys on this show this past Tuesday night, calling out Grayson Waller. Grayson Waller was smart enough to follow a straining order, and the fans at the PC was a little saucy this week, chanting, rip that shit. Oh, now we can curse at the PC now, being a little bit more, you know, non-PG, which was nice to see. But I just want to get your thoughts on the presentation of L.A. Knight on this show, Jeremy. What are your thoughts on L.A. Knight living his best Stone Cold life, trying to make anything possible right here on NXT 2.0? If you ever wanted to know an example of firsthand gear on a secondhand gimmick, that is what L.A. Knight is. He is a great looking presentation, but the... But the idea is recycled. We all seen it before. Uh, some people will call it creatively like appropriating. Other people will call it derivative. Other people would just be like copycat. Um, I applaud him for making the best out of 
what he is given with his gimmick. It does not seem that he is ultimately the greatest fit in NXT right now, but uh, he's putting the final polish on the uh, Stone Cold LA Knight. And uh, oh my God. Uh, and yeah, so I, am I know what that is, by the way. I with, know what that uh, is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I am very happy that he seems to understand his character, even though his character doesn't fit where he is at. And for those of you that just caught that, oh my God, breaking news from the future and of the past, I manifested a win for the 49ers as they just beat the Green Bay Packers via a field goal. So I am very appreciative of this moment. So is Jeremy as he popped on live to tape. I enjoyed that. (laughs) We uh, we don't do video on this one, but if you did, I'd be saying this is one for the record books. But uh, it it really is. So congratulations to Jeremy and the 49ers moving on to the NFC championship round and to the Packers. See you, bitch. But oh, anyway, anyway. West Coast big... fight game represent. <laughs> okay. I don't live on the West Coast, but go 49ers all day, every day. Buy Packers. Pack that thing up. So back to. I I'm living my best life like LA Knight. <laughs> okay. That's fantastic. Living your best life just like LA Knight. So, Scott, what are your thoughts on LA Stone Cold Steve Austin Knight living his best life on 2.0? And do you see him being in this system long-term as a guy that could actually do a whole lot more via the main roster. I'm going to be honest with you. If I had never watched 2.0 before and I just turned it on and saw LA Knight come into the ring and the crowd going crazy for him, I would think he was a main roster star coming down for a guest appearance, just the way they were reacting to him. I mean, he seemed like he was easily the biggest baby face on the roster. Not even close. So I, I, I'm i shocked he's been there this long because I thought he was main roster ready from the jump. He's got a great look. He can talk. Um, you know, I, I, I think he would have been an IC. I, I would have thought he would be IC or US champion by now on the main roster, to be honest with you, just because he seems like he's everything WWE wants. In, a, in their wrestlers. He kind of wrestles that same style. He's, you know, deceptively, deceptively athletic. Um, I, I like LA Knight. I like what he brings. But to answer your second question, no, I don't see him there much longer. I think he's going to put Grayson Waller over one more time before he moves. I think that's going to be his last feud before he moves up uh, to the main roster as well. So I, I'm looking forward to LA Knight on the main roster. I think he's going to make some noise on the main roster. I think he's going to be a player. I hope so, too. He's very charismatic, and he was one of the MVPs last year on the show via his feud with Cameron Grimes over the Million Dollar Championship belt, making a start of Grayson Waller as well. And he's really charismatic and talented, and he's just a guy you need on the main roster that can give SmackDown in particular a jolt in terms of energy and excitement. I know he's on the older side of what they want. He's 39 years old, but he reverse ages nicely. He can talk. He can work. And those are the things you need on SmackDown, perfectly moving forward. I know he did a dark match against Roddy Strong on Friday. He won that match, by the way. It doesn't mean much because dark matches don't say a lot about your future in WWE because it can send you right back to NXT or release you a short time later. That's how the game goes, unfortunately. But I do see a lot in LA Knight to really be a star beyond NXT very soon. It was nice to see him get cheered and loved by this crowd. Because think back to almost a year ago when he made his debut at Vengeance Day. They was like, who is this guy? 
they weren't really fooling him that much. But eventually, when you acknowledge how good he is, despite him being a Stone Cold cosplayer, he's great. And if that's who he admires, is who he wants to be with a little bit of the rock mixed in for good measure, good for you. We need some star power and people that emulate star power from star power is the best mix to me. And Elsewhere on NXT 2.0 was the beginning of the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic. And this tournament started with mixed results. We had the Creed Brothers versus Brooks and Dunn, Scott's favorite tag team on this show. And for what the match was, I wasn't mad at it. It was very green and very rough around the edges. But hey, they worked hard and the Creed Brothers got the win. The second match threw me off a bit. It was like all the Phantasmas were all Mendoza and Joaquin Wilde versus Malik Blade and Idris Anofe. And I really wanted to see Legato versus MSK in the semifinals. It's not happening now. Malik Blade and Idris won and I'm happy for them, but I think they're a bit too green to really make it that far in the tournament. And if MSK advances this upcoming week, they have to deliver the match of their lives against MSK who don't play in the ring. So Scott, what are your thoughts on these two matches that kicked off the Dusty Cup this past Tuesday? Fine with both results mixed on one of them or one way or the other? So I, I do. I just want to start out by saying I, I am very happy that I've gotten everyone to call Briggs and Jensen Brooks and Dunn uh, as their tag team names. So uh, shout out to the old dirt road. Um, just <laughs> uh, just, you know, you know I, I, I thought the match was OK. I, to be honest, with you, the match was better than I thought it was going to be with uh, Briggs. And, or Let me go ahead and stick with it. Brooks and Dunn and um, uh, the Diamond Mine, the Creed Brothers. It was better than I thought it was going to be. Um, I really like the Creed Brothers finish. I, I just like how hard he throws that last Larry while the dude's sitting on the ground. I, I like that. I think they have something. I hope they like the the matchups you would think they would put some of these less experienced guys with the more experienced people so that way you could kind of you know protect them a little bit and just get better matches out of the out of it but i guess they're they're just throwing them to the wolves and saying hey let's see what you can do so this was better than i thought it was going to be so i'll give them that um i i don't mind the rookie upset you know i and honestly now that they've done this I could see them beating MSK in the next. I, I see MSK winning their first round matchup. I could see them beating MSK and getting to the finals and that kind of being a way of building this new team up, you know, building this rookie team up. And then you got to, then you can get another, then you can get a heel team over by dominating these babyface rookies. So I, I'm actually going to go with uh, the rookie tag team to make it all the way to the finals. Um, I, I think that that would be a good way to create a new tag team right off the bat. So Idris and Malik, I'm, I'm pulling for you to go to the finals. All right. So Scott's riding with the bracket busters all the way to the finals. If Idris had Solo Sequoia as his partner, I would say I like them as a tag team a bit more than Malik Blake with Idris, but that was a WWE choice because Solo got hit with a fireball and he's unavailable for the rest of this tournament <laughs> as he faces Boa on Tuesday via a street fight. Anything goes. We'll see about that. But I just they love, love their, their fireballs, chemistry. don't they? They sure do. <laughs> like three fireballs in the last year and a half. And I kind of like the Idris solo dynamic before they split them off. But that's my only quibble about storyline continuity on this show, which we'll get to more in a bit. So, Jeremy, what are your thoughts on the first round of the Dusty Cup involving these two teams I've mentioned? You know, I thought the, uh, okay, first off, 
Brooke and Dunn, I was like, that's not their name. Like, what's going on here? And then I was like, I just, I was still like in the in the cloud of euphoria from the Niners. Like, okay, I'm 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 tracking still. I'm still going. Okay, we got this. Uh, the Creed brothers versus Brooks Dunn, Brooks Jensen. Uh, that was a pick 'em to me. I think the right team probably won. But for me, the other one was the uh, was the very obvious telegraphing of the Anofe and Blade win when Legado del Fantasma came into the locker room and proceeded to explain to uh, MSK how easy their matchup was going to be in a tournament setting. All I thought was, you fools, you have sealed your doom. You know where this is going. And throughout the whole thing, it's like, where, where are we go? Oh, Broadbreaker. There it is. And so we have the upset win. I don't think that they're going to go much farther than this one. I think MSK probably has the polish on them to get another title run, get Imperium or whatever they are going to be called uh, into another uh, polish of their own. And then they're moving forward with the Dusty Battle Royal. Whoever wins this really does need to go on and win the title. And if you look at who's the title holder now and who could be the title holders in the future, Creed Brothers maybe, uh, but with uh, the Diamond Mine being uh, up in the air is a diplomatic way to put it. Uh, I would lean towards MSK, at least from what I'm seeing right now. I see a two-peat for MSK as well, and I have this big old fantasy in my head, and I'll get to in a bit regarding the future of Imperium beyond the conversation we're going to get to shortly. But yeah. my mind, my mind exploded in the best possible way if WWE ever went through with it, because I thought about this on SmackDown Friday night about what could be regarding some things. But let's get to the good stuff regarding Walter versus Roderick Strong, the main event of NXT 2.0 before we dive into the not so good stuff. So let's celebrate the match. And this match was so good. It was, if not great, as Roddy Strong set the tone with a chop that outchopped what Walter would do. And Walter woke up and he chopped the fuck out of Roddy and the fans went crazy. Malcolm Bivens, the MVP at ringside, is just selling with his facial expressions and being great. And when Walter jacked up Malcolm, I laughed so hard. And then I laughed even more on Twitter when Malcolm says, you missed a moment. I almost hit him with a Pele kick. I'm like, how, dude? How is he going to get your foot that high to hit Walter with a Pele kick? But in any event, this was a great technical brawling masterpiece of two, two guys going out there and delivering the goods in the ring. A fantastic main event. Walter wins very popular bomb and at this point I feel good about the match not so much about the show as a whole because it was kind of messy and let's just celebrate Jeremy the match for what it was before it wasn't what we would be celebrating in the end you mean the glorious violence that was Walter versus Roderick Strong that you could put on my TV every night for the next month and I would actually be there when it starts and continue until just when the bell rings. Yeah. That one. <laughs> that one. <laughs> it was a tremendous match. Uh, I, I'm having a hard time thinking about the last time I watched a Walter match in which I wasn't thoroughly entertained from start to finish. That is a wrestler who understands what he is set out to do. He understands how to make his opponents look 
as good as possible while taking a vicious beating. And he also knows how to take a loss in the most magnificent way possible when it is his turn to do so. Uh, he is the most reliable Uber driver I can think of. Walter always delivers. That is a fact. Walter never misses. So Scott, you mentioned something before we get to the other lead topic of this show and that let's celebrate the match before what happened in the end. This was a great main event in NXT 2.0, not the greatest show this week for obvious reasons, but what are your thoughts on this main event before things took that turn? Excellent. Just the excellent main event between two world-class workers. Um, you know, we, we talking about Walter and how, you know, he, he always puts on a great match. Roderick strong has, I mean, he, always puts on a great match and it's always a high intensity physical hard hitting match i i i roderick strong over the last couple years has really become one of my favorite wrestlers to watch because he he has such a unique move set like the backbreakers and the strikes that he throws and then he throws that kick out of nowhere i mean it's pretty much a claymore kick he throws that out of nowhere i I love what Roderick Strong brings to the table. And I think, I, I you know, WWE has got to make sure they hold on to that guy for nothing else because you can put him out there and he'll have a great match. He can have a great match, not just a good match, but a great match with anybody. Um, Walter is fantastic for a guy his size. He can move well. He looks like he's trimmed down. He's He looks like he's in fantastic shape. So I think it's the first time I've ever seen him with a six-pack, and that's scary. Um, but this guy is a monster. He, you know, Carmelo Hayes, he talks about never missing. These are two guys who never miss. And this was a match I was anticipating, I was excited for, and they delivered on all fronts. Um just the, the, the stupidity that followed the, the ringing of the bell is a bit of a damper. But can we talk about for a second? I brought it up on the Facebook group. Um, Malcolm Bivens might be the best manager in the game right now. Um, he's, he's fantastic. There's not a lot else that can be said about him that hasn't been said, but he's great at what he does. I think Diamond Mine's going to be around for a while because I think the Creed brothers are something. And I think with Malcolm Bivens and Ivy too, I think Ivy's got a great presence too. I think that that dynamic fits. They fit with him really well with him, with his small self and him standing next to Ivy, who looks like she could break him and twist him around like a pretzel if she wanted to. So there's a great dynamic there um, that I think is in a in a year or two could be main roster ready. So I think Diamond Mine's around for a while. And I just wanted to make sure Malcolm Bivens gets a lot of love from me on this show. Malcolm Bivens is the guy that, to me, he should have been featured on NFT years ago, but they wanted him to be in better shape and to be much more developed as a manager uh, while they had, you know, the AOP guy out there and a bunch of others. He would have been good to go. He was doing this gimmick for years on the Indies. I was ready to see him do this Uh Months ago, years ago. As for Roderick Strong, you know, Scott, all I have to tell you about him, he is a diamond in the rough, and that is undisputed. <laughs> very well put. Touche and very well put. Indeed. Is he hinting at something for future reference? We do not know. <laughs> but, hey, we see the tea leaves around these parts as to what can happen next. But Roddy is exceptional, and Walter 
my God, every match I see of his, I just am in awe of his talent. And as Scott mentioned, he's getting a six pack now, which makes him even more dangerous. And I was in a happy place heading into the end of this show. And then Walter picked up the microphone and it all went to hell because on Twitter Tuesday morning, there was this news report from Fightful Select noting that WWE's final trademark for Gunther Stark. And if you do a quick Google search, not now because it's all about the name change, but before this became a big story, Gunther Stark was a Nazi commander back in the 40s, I believe. And one would think you would not want to name Walter Gunther Stark because it's a fucking Nazi. Why would you do that? But of course, this is WWE and taste be damned in some cases. So I thought we were going to get through NXT real smooth, real easy. Maybe they thought about it at the 11th hour. Maybe we don't call Walter Gunther Stark. Then Walter grabbed the microphone and you can tell he did not want to say this. Like, I got to do it. It's my job. And he says, my name is Gunther. And the crowd goes mild. And we lead to a beatdown with the Creed Brothers and Roddy and the rest of Imperium. It's a great end to the show in terms of the action. But when he said the name Gunther, my mood went sour. I got a little bit queasy and I was very angry in the Facebook group saying that they have until Saturday to change his name back to Walter. All holy hell is going to break loose. Well, I can safely say they kind of avoided my wrath mostly because the next day they dropped the trademark for Gunther Stark. And now Walter is simply now known as Gunther, not Nazi adjacent. But even before then, when he just said his first name, we knew what it was associated with. You can't play cute with it. You knew what you were doing when you trademarked that name. And people got fiery on Twitter, as they should, because it was a stupid decision. I know it's all about making sure you own the names of your stars. Walter is legit his government name in Austria. You can't own that. You can't trademark that. He can take that wherever he goes post WWE. Hopefully that day never comes and WWE realizes what they have in Walter. But for this to go through this many steps and for you to clear this trademark and for you to almost go there is such a tone deaf decision. And I know this screams and it reeks of Bruce Pritchard thinking, let's get Nazis on TV in 2022 let them be the foreign menace that the baby faces must get through like can walter fabian eichner and marcel bartel just be badasses in imperium can they be guys that are just simply great at what they do and be bad guys that fans kind of respect because they're great at what they do i think i watched too much glow on netflix the series that was really chronicling the OG show in the 80s that really breaks down what professional wrestling is and how we don't play in the stereotypes. And WWE cannot let go of stereotypes that are so tired and old for crying out loud. Hell, when you do an Elimination Chamber pay-per-view, you can't call it that in Germany for a reason. They say don't call it that because of the connotations to the Holocaust. So what makes you think, let's call Walter a Nazi? Like, no, it does not work for me and thankfully they dropped the trademark i can accept gunther for being maybe associated with friends via central perk i can see walters being a barista now but it's better than being a nazi and for wwe to go through all these steps really annoyed me because a quick google engine search would tell you what the name meant what it symbolized and for you to go through what you did to get the name and then drop it it tells me that for up until the firestorm broke out you didn't really care that much but here we are it's 
Gunther, not Walter anymore. And I'll probably call Walter Walter up until maybe the Warrior Rumble and I'll give up. But he will always be Walter to me. But for WWE to go through all these goddamn steps and then realize, oh, maybe we messed up. You think? You think. But um, Scott, what are your thoughts on what happened regarding Gunther Stark and then he's just now Gunther? And what gets me the most is that WWE hates last names. Why give him that to begin with? Yeah, uh, that was going to be my main thing for a company that has pretty much destroyed, you know, full names all across from Antonio Cesaro to Biggie Langston. Um, you know, they've they've just taken names left and right. Um, and they decide to to keep the the Gunther Stark name. You know, I didn't look it up when I first saw it. I just for for real, the first thing that I came to my mind when I heard Gunther Stark, I thought this was like some type of Game of Thrones character from the books or something. So I had no idea who it was. Then I'd go and look him up. I see, oh, all right, he's a Nazi. So there's no way that's getting on TV. This has to be just something they did. They looked it up and they're like, yeah, we can't use that. Then this guy grabs the mic, goes out of his way to stop the announcer to make sure all the attention is on him and what he's about to say. And he calls himself Gunther. Now, if I didn't do this this Google search and I just heard Gunther and then I, you know, would Google Gunther, I'm sure the friends guy would come up and there, you know, we, we would we wouldn't even be talking about this. But WWE, again, I'm just, I'm tired, man. I'm tired. I'm ready. I have my pillow with me. I got my favorite blanket. I'm tired with WWE. It's just exhausting having to deal with this every week. Like, it's something ridiculous that just is so easy to take care of and to stop from happening. All wrestling companies should have a PR person and somebody to just do quick Google searches. Just do a quick Google search. Oh, you want to do that name? Let me let me type him in Google and see what comes up. Oh, he's a Nazi. Let's X that one. Like uh, uh, Google's right there. You know, Google's right there. All you got to do is type in the, Siri. Who's Gunther Stark? <laughs> right there. It's it's that easy. I, you know, I, it's it's just it's nonsensical. It's flabbergasting, and it's uh, it's it's silly. I'm just tired of it. It's exhausting. And you would think WWE would know better, but they don't in a lot of ways. And they think they can get away with this shit. And we're not letting you get away with it. We will call you out on your bullshit. And this was complete bullshit that they tried to pull via this name and what it meant and what it symbolized in 2022. This is not 1942. We are 70, 80 years past World War II, just about. And for you to think this is what the kids want to see today, Nazism, let's show them how we get it done here. America forever. Like, no, I don't want to see this. Like, can we just get wrestling for what it is today? Heels and baby faces, badasses we respect, but we want to boo at the exact same time. I don't want to boo Walter over being a fucking Nazi. I don't want to think about Nazis on my TV show. But Jeremy, what are your thoughts on the switch of the name and how WWE back patterned and tap danced like Savion Glover on Sesame Street back in the day? <laughs> uh, the name change is disappointing, but I get it. Most of the time, people aren't going to get out of uh, a repackaged totally unscathed. At least he's not wearing um, gear like Karrion Cross, where he's a wannabe villain in a Conan movie. So I'm going to take it as it is for now, even though, you know, I'm going to get into the... We're going to get into this right now, okay. So, um... 
anti-Semitism in 2022 uh, should be uncategorically just thrown out the window, unacceptable. The fact that WWE as a company has introduced these suggestive tones, not overt, but subvert, gives it an air of legitimacy and puts it into a conversation that we should not be having as a society. It's just, I'm going to leave it at that, that it is does not belong on WWE TV. It does not belong on any TV right now in general. Uh, I got I got the last name, got the skin in the game. Even if I didn't, it wouldn't be okay. And they should probably find a way to back off of the overt sense of this gimmick. I don't know how, but I do have a suggestion, and this is when I'm going to take a deep breath and try and pivot back to a humorous idea. So, woo! I think Von Wagner should join with Gunther. <laughs> so as the, ad- me out. as the advocate me for Von, man, I, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about you setting my boy up like that. <laughs> Hear me out. He needs the guidance of Gunther. He needs to be taught the ways of the ring in such a way that he understands that his skills are a gift that Walter can Gunther, my my sincerest apologies, uh, can mold and develop. And then, just like 20 years ago, Bruce Pritchard can have Vaughn Wagner turn on Gunther and win the title from him. So I first couple, couple, <laughs> couple things. Couple, you thought you were getting out of a Vaughn Wagner conversation. You thought you were. I'm, you got all the way to the end of NXT and I dropped it on you. I will be honest with you. I was like, you know what? Vaughn Wagner's gonna escape this episode unscathed. I'm gonna let him off easy. I have nothing for him. Keela let him off easy. But Jeremy was like, nah, come here, come here, big guy. <laughs> Come here, I got stuff for your ass. Role. I got stuff for your ass this week. Come here. Imperium is a four-man group. Imperium is four people. They need Von Wagner more than Von Wagner needs them. I don't know. It's a match made in heaven. And it could change the conversation about the whole thing if you bring Von Wagner in there. It's honestly, it's PR. It's good PR. I don't. I honestly don't hate it, and it wouldn't be the worst use of Vaughn. Um, at least when he's staring and making that same face, it would at least you know make sense because that's what they all do when they're beside Walter. So at least he would have a reason for having the same face on at twenty four seven. So yeah. that that wouldn't be the Gunther, worst thing. Gunther sends Vaughn Wagner in his place when he wants to send a message. It's easy. You got it. It's perfect. That's, that's not bad. Make he's definitely not. He's definitely not good enough to get to work with Walter. So yeah, I guess it's fine for him to work with Gunther. Yeah, Von Wagner and Imperium, the the fearsome four. You might be speaking that into existence. So that might be happening in a couple weeks on two point I would like to see that. I think it would be a good use of Von Wagner to be with that stable. So. Stating for the record now, if you don't ever hear Jeremy again, I fire him off this show. <laughs> he can't a come good back. Run, everybody. Good run. He, had a, <laughs> he had a good run. He was very good as the third chair 
until now. And he already gave the Rumble pick, too. So, we're, you know, we're good for the end of the show. I mean, you could just cut me out now and no one will know the difference. We will cut Jeremy from this show from this point forward because how dare he even think about adding Von Wagner to Imperium. But the only saving grace to any of this, and I do not want to see Von Wagner beat my man Gunther, who I got to get used to calling Gunther because damn, I'm going to miss Walter. But um, let's keep it real. The best situation would be Malcolm Bivens crashing the training sessions and saying Von Wagner ain't shit. That would make me. <laughs> now that... I would like that the camera rolled all the way until you could hear the door slam behind him. Yes. Now he that would be gold to see little Bivens walk up on Vaughn, talking to his stomach, talking about you ain't nothing. You ain't got nothing. Poking him in his stomach. That would be fantastic. That would be the only saving grace that Malcolm would roll up alone and say, Gunther, this all you got? Vaughn, this it? Is this your fourth man did this? Stand standing behind Ivy. Yes. Standing behind <laughs> Ivy, by the way. Yes. Yes. Oh, my God. We need this to happen just for that alone, for Malcolm to roll up on a training session saying, Vaughn ain't shit. This all you got? Oh, like, man. Ivy got more than, you know, Vaughn. You could have picked Ivy. You could have picked me. Jeremy, I could have rolled up with Imperium. You, you made yeah, it. Yeah. have to turn this. Now, see, now we done went in on Vaughn. We, we had a good show going, and now we done went in on Vaughn. Now, now you can just envision Malcolm Bivens doing the juke and move behind Ivy's shoulder. He just pops up behind each one of them. You can't touch me. You can't hit me. You can't. You can't. That's you pretty good. That's pretty good. Oh, my goodness. I think that was the first time I broke Scott on this show. So revenge is mine. Thank you, Jeremy. So therefore, Jeremy, on the same show, he's rehired, y'all. He's got his job back because that is the only scenario I accept regarding Von Wagner, who I thought I gave a pass to this week, but Jeremy said, nope, Mm-mm, not on my watch. We Roll make fun of Von every week. Yes, it was a great idea. Oh my gosh, let's recover from this as we turn the page on 2.0 and flip it over to Friday Night Smackdown on Fox, which was the very definition of repeatomania, my God almighty. If you missed a show, you didn't miss much, but let's celebrate the fact that Roman Reigns, as of right now, is a 500 plus day universal champion, universal champ for well over a year and a half now. Congrats to Roman Reigns. I gotta say the WWE waited a very long time to have Roman Reigns as over as he is. And this turn and this reign has been pretty good for him and the bloodline and Paul Heyman and Brock Lesnar, but for everybody else, it's been very mixed results in terms of where do you go once Roman Reigns goes through you? And it's been very mixed results, but as a run and as a character and performer, this is the best version of Roman Reigns, the tribal chief the head of the table, the provider of SmackDown in more ways than one. So, Jeremy, what are your thoughts on the 500-plus day reign of Roman Reigns' reign as Universal Champ? I would like to give the WWE a round of applause for finally vanquishing all of the people that they no longer wanted to uh, recognize as the longest reigning champions in their history. They did it, guys. 
They did it. I'm so happy for them. I'm also happy for Roman Reigns. A 500-day reign is no uh, small feat, and he has conquered at least six people three times over that course of 500 days in order to solidify that very dominant reign. In all seriousness, it is pretty cool. They've been trying to get Roman Reigns to be this level of star for years, and they finally did it. And it took uh, probably five years longer than they wanted to, but they reached their destination. Uh, He is the guy that is the gatekeeper to make any other guy in the company. 500 days is a great way to signify that he is the guy Everything about Roman Reigns, I love the presentation. I love the person. I love the performer. Uh, he's the right guy for this for this honor. Absolutely. This dude has got so much swagger right now, and he's going to fuck around and be a baby face very, very soon, if not a quasi face already. The, the ones throw up. They throw up the ones. They acknowledge him now. He's just cool, and that's what makes him over as a babyface in the fans' eyes mostly because he just exudes this coolness that wasn't there five or six years ago. He had it, but WWE suppressed it for so long, and I gotta give him a lot of credit. He came back after taking that break because of the pandemic, and he just reinvented himself in terms of presentation, character, work rate. The Thunderdome stuff was amazing. The shit talking on SmackDown and at these pay-per-views when nobody was there was incredible to really engage you in these matches. I think it comes a little bit overall in a live setting with people these days via his last couple of pay-per-view matches. But in general, he's been a great champ. But ultimately, somebody's got to be made from this. We don't know who yet, but for what he's been able to do to get the Usos hot, to get Paul Heyman over as a manager once again, and Brock Lesnar living his best life with all the zeros and a bank account. Like, good for you, Roman Reigns, for elevating your crew and Brock and Paul to this new level of excellence in WWE. So, Scott, what are your thoughts on Roman's reign as a universal champion for 500-plus days as we record this show? I think it's been excellent. I thought the video package was excellent. I thought it did a really good job of recapping who he's gone through and and kind of – you know, showing each person, each challenge, each hurdle, and each one kind of built upon the other, making it a greater challenge, showing how each one was a greater challenge than the one before. You know, it kind of wrapped up with Cena and Brock is his biggest too. And I just, you know, WWE, one thing they always do a great job of is video packages. So this one was top notch. This this run of Roman has been just strong, man. And I I know a lot of there's a good there's some people that find it boring. I I find him rather engaging because there's this there's this element of if he does lose, he's making somebody. You know, he he is creating a new star. Whoever he loses to, hopefully WWE is smart enough to realize that you're going to create a new star. So it, it needs to be somebody who's not at the main event level because once they get this victory over Roman, because that's the key is who's going to beat Roman. And then you got to you got a, a star. And I'm going to be honest with you, I don't think Roman should lose anytime soon. I I have I think this should go past 600 days. I mean, I I there's nobody ready. Braun Breaker's not ready yet and he might be the only guy who's, you know, who could use that and and really springboard from a win like that who's not already there. You know, there's there's talk about like Drew I think Rollins would have been a nice WrestleMania opponent, but that's not a guy who needs that victory. 
Braun Breaker's that guy. Like that's that's the young guy you build to. I think Roman can hold this title another year until Braun gets it. This has been this is one of those title reigns that we're going to talk about ten years from now and look back and say this was a a strong reign. And I I hope it goes to at least six hundred days. I think it could I think it could go until next year's WrestleMania. I'll go as far as, as to say, let's go formerly known as Walter. Let's go maybe 800 days as champion. I'll go that far and say, let's give him another year as champ. Because as you mentioned, the ultimate goal is to make somebody new. You have to anoint not a current main eventer, but somebody fresh off the block that can give Roman a run for his money. And Braun Breaker possibly at next year's WrestleMania in LA, unless they can't get The Rock, who is booked constantly. But it's got to be somebody that you're going to make for the next five to 10 years. And Braun is probably the only one that fits that bill. And I don't want them to rush it this year. Wait until next year. Roman can mow through the entire roster of WWE if you build more people up between now and then. But his reign has been exceptional. But the end goal is you must build someone fresh. Just hoping that WWE has that in mind heading into the rest of this year. And now, speaking of WWE and SmackDown being very hard up for talent these days because we had a lot of repeat matches on Friday's show that really annoyed me because I hate repeatomania. But we had cameos from Seth Rollins, Kevin Owens, and Big E, former WWE champion. And it got me thinking at this point, because SmackDown kind of got hurt by the WWE draft and WWE made it worse by cutting people during the draft, but after the draft, about a month later, before Survivor Series, that really got under my skin. But at this point, when you see injuries, Sasha Banks, Xavier Woods, Drew McIntyre, and you see us heading to the Warrior Rumble requiring surprises for both the men and women, Jeremy, at this point, do you think we should just say, let's cancel the brand split? Let's bring these rosters back together as one at long last? I could not believe how quickly I felt that they needed to end the brand split when I was watching that show last night. When uh, Seth Rollins was out there at the beginning of the show, and he's got the Usos and Roman Reigns, and he's talking with them, and I'm trying to game plan who might be a tag partner, and I, I wasn't paying a whole lot of attention to the card. It was like, you know what? Kofi would be a good guy to come out, and Xavier Woods is uh, not available right now. And then all of a sudden, Kevin Owens comes out. And I'm like, this is delightful. I like this. Kevin Owens and Seth Rollins, they're going to come out, and they're going to wrestle the Osos tonight. I can live with that. And then I think a couple other people showed up, and I'm just sitting here going like, this is way more fun than cutting the roster in half and working with what you got at least now when you got big e coming out here and putting madcap moss uh giving him his big ending you're just like yeah why aren't you doing this every week why aren't people just coming out who are friends with each other and beating other people up and then going and having like have a party in the ring make this be fun um i'm watching it and i just like this is what they're missing they are they are so dedicated to separating these brands that they lose sight of the fact that you have nine women on this roster on Raw and nine women on SmackDown. And maybe, just maybe, in the middle of November, somebody on the Raw roster would have been a good opponent for Charlotte to have as opposed to whatever they did instead of, I have these nine people and I can only use these nine people. It, 
it would just make for better, more logical and seamless booking in which we're not looking at each show and being like, oh, well, they have, they must have wink, wink, come down to something, this, this, or that. It would work out a little bit better in my mind. Indeed. So, Scott, what are your thoughts on WWE SmackDown and this need to possibly end this brand split to make sure we have some depth between Raw and SmackDown every Monday and Friday night? I have a I'm actually kind of worried. Well, so I'm, I'm kind of torn on it, actually, because I think we could be heading towards it a little bit sooner than we may think. Obviously, the obvious one is the Brock Lesnar, Roman Reigns thing, you know, them unifying the titles. But let's not forget, Charlotte Flair is the champion and she has entered the Rumble and Becky Lynch is the Raw champion. And they definitely have a history from Survivor Series that they can go back to and play into. So, you know, would it really surprise anybody if Charlotte Flair won the Rumble and then said, I want I want both belts? And Becky was like, come get me. I want your belt anyway so I can be Becky two belts again. Like And then we unified both titles. So now we have a unified women's title, a unified men's title. The rosters are, are unified again. The, you know, the only problem with it is you do lose a little bit of opportunity. Does Big E become champion if there's only one top tier champion? You know, does Big E become champion? Does Bobby Lashley get that top tier run as a top guy with only one championship? You know, with moments like that, we don't get Kofi Mania with only one championship. So you lose out on stuff like that. But, you know, when we had one champion, that was when The Miz was at the top of his game. That was when he made that IC title important on Raw. That was when he was main eventing Raw, defending that title. He was beating Roman Reigns clean in the middle of the ring to win the title. Like, it meant something. The U.S. title could mean something again. You would elevate those titles. So there are definitely pros and cons to both of them. I'm not opposed to it. I, I agree with Jeremy. I thought, you know, seeing the guys, seeing different guys come out and seeing a full roster, you know, or the, the possibility of a full roster got me way more excited than knowing that I only have the, you know, a handful of people like I'm selecting a Mortal Kombat character. So it was, it, it did, there is a glimpse of what your show could be with, you know, just utilizing the full roster since you're keeping it small anyway. So I'm, I'm, I'm leaning towards it, but I do know there are going to be people that aren't going to get the same opportunities as before. Definitely split on it, too. I love seeing the surprises on Friday. It did not help the repeatomania aspect of the show, but it just gave SmackDown a bit more depth that it needs. And it's always funny when it comes to the brand split that I think about the split in 02 and how great it was for a time. And then you think about the split in 2016. It was great for a time. But WWE can never maintain that momentum of what they built via the brand split. It's good for six months to a year. And then they kind of lose sight of the purpose of the draft. And that is to replenish, that is to refresh, that is to build fresh stars. Every time you do a reset every five to six years, yeah, it does feel much better for a while, but then you lose sight of what makes the draft and the brand split special. And I'm all for maybe maintaining the order now, but it's all about booking and making things make sense logically for WWE, which is a very hard thing to do via these shows most weeks. But if it is find a way to push people properly and have people at the ready when injuries do 
unfortunately take place, then maybe we can accept the brand split and the two champions on each show that can really add some meaning to what these shows can be. But that requires a focused creative team. And we know that's very hit and miss in WWE these days. And now it is time for the main event of SmackDown on Friday night featuring Seth Rollins and Kevin Owens from Monday Night Raw versus the Usos. And I thought this was the best damn match on this show by a country mile. As Scott mentioned earlier, this is Seth Rollins via Earth 2. This is babyface Seth wearing the Fresh Prince of Bel Air Academy suit to kick off the show. And he's got KO by his side. It's a great dynamic between those two as a tag team. They're a great tag team and they display that via this main event against the Usos. A fresh, cool matchup. I love the No Falls. KO always performs at a high level. And then we get to Seth at the very end of this match and the fans in Nashville are standing up. They're doing the choir sing song with Seth to do the curb stomp. Then Roman comes out of nowhere. Superman punch lays him out. But you would think that Roman would knock out Jimmy Uso instead to prevent you having this match against Seth at the Rumble. But I digress. But I just look at Seth Rollins and I see him in this moment on SmackDown on Earth 2 and he's so over and Kevin Owens is over as a babyface or over as a team. They can run SmackDown together as great, lovable, badass babyfaces in this universe. They're great. So, Scott, what are your thoughts on the main event and the disappointing DQ finish? The second one on the main roster show this week that left me a little meh at the end of the night. Uh, that this is the babyface Seth freaking Rollins that everybody wants. When he got that hot tag, he went wild and he did a great job with it. Kevin Owens, another great babyface. I mean, they were complete opposites from what they were on Monday Night Raw. The Usos, for my money, best tag team in the world. I, I mean, I especially where they are right now with their characters and with the bloodline as a whole. I, I think they've elevated their game and they are and they have been elevated by being in association with Rome and being champions. Um, the Kevin Owens, Seth Rollins tag team, I think there could be something there. If neither one of those guys are, I mean, WWE didn't have a plethora of tag teams anyway. If neither one of those guys are doing, have a singles match you know, for them, unless they're going to go against each other again at Mania, I wouldn't mind seeing them tag a little more often and kind of build this friendship a little bit more. Um, I like that Kevin Owens was the partner because it makes sense on a lot of fronts. He had a long history with Roman Reigns for the Universal title, so it makes sense there. Him and Seth have become friends. So I, I like that, and I think it just kind of leans into what we were just talking about, about ending the brand split, the brand split, because you can get more matchups like this, and you can get fresher matchups like this. Um, part of me thought Seth Rollins was going to lose this match, and I actually would have, I kind of thought the Usos should have won this match, and then maybe you set up Rollins to win the Rumble. You know, there's no clear winner for the men's Rumble, and I think that would give Rollins a direction. I think the Rollins-Roman match is a WrestleMania-caliber match anyway. So part of me was thinking maybe the Usos win this match since they are tag champions, pinning Kevin Owens and not Seth Rollins because Kevin Owens is right there. Rollins goes in, wins the Rumble. Goes on to WrestleMania, challenges Roman. You keep Roman and Brock separate. You save that unification match for Survivor Series. So that that way you give that pay-per-view some stakes. You give that champion versus champion match some purpose. Uh, and then you give you have a meaningful WrestleMania match for Roman Reigns. But obviously they didn't do that. And I really hope we're not going to a unification match at WrestleMania. That would suck. And still, Kevin Owens is right there. He's right there. I just love that. 
right there. Can't miss them. <laughs> Jeremy, what are your thoughts on this main event of SmackDown and Seth being over as a babyface on Earth 2, a part of WWE's infinite universes? I am truly, truly confused as to the general assumption by the people at WWE that just because you're uh, a heel on Raw that you come over to SmackDown and you feel with, feud with the top heel there that you are by default a babyface. They just decided, you know, we're going to do very little work to reinforce it. He's just a guy that looked like he could win against Roman Reigns and people are going to be into it. Spoiler alert, that's all you really need is someone that people can believe might be Roman Reigns and they will cheer that person. So that's what we have now. You don't really have to do a whole lot with Seth Rollins. He's just, he's doing his thing. Uh, You can, his style kind of goes back and forth. You you make a couple of tweaks and his style works as as a face to get the cheers and it also works to get the boos as he's working over the bad guys. I I legitimately forgot what the finish of this match was, so I went to go uh, check in. I'm like, oh, yeah, a disqualification. Huh. Shocking. Uh, <laughs> punch punch to, uh, you know, get a disqualification on behalf of the Usos. So I'm not really sure how that works with any of the plans that they had, that if Rollins lost, that he wouldn't get his title. But... I guess if it's a DQ, it doesn't really matter, and the whole thing goes. But with that said, it was a capper of a fluff popcorn episode, a SmackDown, where they're just setting the table for the Rumble. Nothing nothing to it. It'll probably do what every other show does in the ratings and feedback from the audience. Yeah, and the numbers were up yesterday so hey that was a win for them but as i watched smackdown and i watched the 500th day reign now we call it 510 or 512 for roman reigns as universal champion and i see the bloodline to the usos i see roman and the dream match scenario that popped into my head immediately was imperium versus the bloodline minus von wagner that would be awesome very soon money 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 my goodness no, All you right, gotta, you got to leave Vaughn in there. You can have Vaughn versus Paul. No, no, no. Here, here's what it is. It is the bloodline and Solo Sokoa with Imperium and Von Wagner. Mm, I, I, there you mm. go. That's a good way to bring Solo okay. up too. All right, I like the. I like that. I like the workshop and Von Wagner. You worked hard for Vaughn today. Are you sure you're not the advocate? You worked hard for Vaughn today. <laughs> Just don't check my bank account, buddy. <laughs> Okay, so we got two Paul Heymans working for Von Wagner, fighting for his future free agency. He's making me in look WWE. Bad. I know he's plotting <laughs> he better than you. Bad. He's got this man at two storylines, <laughs> hooking him up, bloodline. He got him Imperium. on the main roster. <laughs> he, he took him. He ain't even on NXT anymore. He got him on the main roster. I, I don't think I have a job. This is what happens when you collaborate. You just come up with good ideas. This is a collaboration, everybody. A collaboration from what was it called? Team Makeover. That is true. That is what we do here. We workshop on this show and we make things happen. So, hey, listen, Von Wagner, we helped you get two checks in one show. Congratulations to you. And if Malcolm Bivens finds his way to SmackDown and still say you ain't shit, that's an added bonus for me. Stand by that to this day. 
I can't resist. And now it is time for our very brief Warrior Rumble picks. We're not going to run through the entire show next weekend, but we want to get those four key picks out of the way. Jeremy has spoiled us already with his one or two picks. I don't think the whole caboodle is spoiled, but hey, we'll check momentarily. But we're going to offer our quick takes on the men and women's Warrior Rumble matches next Saturday and the WWE and Universal title matches. We think Becky Lynch is not going to lose to do drop for Monday Night Raw. It should be a very what? good match, but that's, come on now. You know that's a lock. It ain't <laughs> happening. Really? Uh, listen, CJ, if you listen to the show, don't put money on Drop. Don't you do that. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Don't do that. Don't lose your money that way. So we know that's a stone cold lock of Becky retaining the championship. But all these other matches are really up in the air regarding what if. So, Scott, who is your pick to win the WWE championship between Bobby Lashley and the reigning defending champion Brock Lesnar? Oh, man. All right, I'm 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 gonna go out on the limb. I think Bobby Lashley wins the title. I think Roman causes the distraction. Brock Lesnar takes the L. Bobby Lashley gets a huge win at the Royal Rumble. Ooh, Jeremy, are you on the same wavelength regarding this matchup? One hundred percent, Bobby Lashley winning that match. I got Bobby as well. It's three for three. I got Bobby winning that championship back, heading into WrestleMania. Do I sense a Roman Reigns screw drop? Very possible, but we'll see next weekend. Next up is for the Universal Championship, Roman Reigns at 500 plus days as of right now versus Seth Rollins. Who's got this, Jeremy? Uh, I got Roman Reigns on this match. It is uh, queen, queen as a whistle. All right, Scott, who's your pick? I got Roman in match of the night, by the way. Ooh, I probably got that as my match of the night, too, depending what Brock and Bobby do, because they're going to go wild with dueling frog splashes. I be- Not frog splashes. If they do, I'm amazed by that. But I think frog leapfrogging each other, I can sense that. But I'm torn on this one, but I'm going to go with Brock Lesnar. Let's see. No, I take that back. Roman Reigns. I got Brock on the brain because at the sense Brock is going to do something at the Rumble. So I got Roman winning the championship, not Brock Lesnar. I got WrestleMania on the brain regarding those two. All right. The Women's Warrior Rumble. Jeremy has given away his pick. So did you change your mind, Jeremy, or are you going somewhere else regarding your decision? Oh, no. I'm doubling down on Rhea. She's winning the whole damn thing. <laughs> hmm. Okay. Jeremy is sticking with Rhea Ripley. Scott, who is your pick? I'm going with Bianca back to back. Ooh, I am going with Bianca back to back as well to win the Rumble. I just sense that this is her time once again in front of a live audience. I go back to the 2020 Women's Warrior Rumble. She was a star in that Rumble. I want to see it repeated in St. Louis once again. And who will she eliminate last? I simply do not know. But I definitely see Bianca Belair being a two-time back-to-back Royal Rumble winner. And... And quite possibly the toss-up of the night in terms of we really don't have a front runner who is walking out as the men's Warrior Rumble winner and moving on to WrestleMania, Scott. I got Drew McIntyre winning the Rumble and challenging Roman Reigns for the title. Ooh, Drew makes miraculous recovery. All right, Jeremy, your pick for the men's Warrior Rumble. I got... Biggie winning and challenging Bobby Lashley at WrestleMania. And I've got John Moxley. Really? No, <laughs> really? Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> now, 
look, let me, this, had- let me just, let me just, let me just, let me just, you know, you guys, you guys know me from the Facebook group, so you know I like the fantasy book. What happens if John Moxley does win the Rumble? Never happen. It will never happen. Let me just throw that out there. It'll never happen. But if it did, what would the, what would, the, what would happen with the internet the next day? Melt immediately. Uh, they would wonder if Tony Cole, Tony Khan have sold AEW to WWE. <laughs> or is it the other way around? If John Moxley won the Royal Rumble, they would think that Vince McMahon bought Tony Khan because they have no idea that Tony Khan is worth way more money than Vince McMahon. Maybe that's, that might be how Tony would want it too. Go ahead and think that. <laughs> Go ahead and think, think that. that. But no, I, I, I do think that there would be 100% speculation about who bought who if one of, if a talent like that showed up. Yes, I think the world would shake if that happens. And by the way, it's not going to happen. I'm just bullshitting here because that's the rumor going around when Seth dropped Mox's name on Friday Night SmackDown. I says, Mox, really? He's not showing up, y'all. If he does, hella freeze over and pigs will be flying with elephants and shit. Like, that's not happening. In a perfect world, if they all could get along, maybe. But that forbidden door is locked shut. My actual legit honest to God pick is Big E because I want WWE to get it right regardless regarding Biggie's future second reign as WWE champion. I do not care what anybody says when he won the championship in September. It wasn't because it was time to do it. They did it because it was a panic move. And you can tell via how he was booked. If he was booked strongly as champion, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now. So I just want to be perfectly clear. Sometimes WWE does things for business and not out of the goodness of their hearts, even though they love Big E, but we know the game. If he gets the championship back, then hopefully he gets a strong run with great opponents to boot. That's all I could ask for at this point. But please know the game when you saw when he first won the championship. That's all I'm saying because if that was the case, he would still be champion today with opponents heading into WrestleMania season. I just want to throw out that in my ideal world, um, Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins would main event and John Moxley would walk in through the crowd like he did at Double or Nothing and then just leave both of them lying with the DDT and walk out. And that would be how the show would close. You know, Scott, on Earth three. <laughs> uh, well, hey, look, as long as it happens on some type of earth, and I just need to find a way earth? to see it. Because if that, I mean, vibrate, vibrate your way over there, buddy. <laughs> You'll find the vibration eventually. Or I got a, or a boom tube. Uh, you know, I, I'm not, I don't have the, the abilities of the flash. So let me just get a boom tube so I can catch a ride. I'll speak your nerd language. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys, this wraps up our quick Warrior Rumble picks. Of course, we'll see how it all plays out next Saturday from St. Louis. We will be back immediately following the pay-per-view, recapping everything that went down from the Lou at the Rumble, which should be quite the first show of WWE this year. And I can pretty much assure you that there will be surprises. Will it be that surprise in particular? I highly doubt it, but in WWE, you never know, do we? And with that, it's now time for my favorite segment besides dissing Von 
Wagner. And that is the guilty pleasure slash avoid at all costs picks of the week. The things we love and hate about WWE throughout the week summed up in two quick segments. So, Jeremy, you watch WWE this week. You love something that, you know, you, you, you probably shouldn't have loved, but it was too good to resist. And that was good for you. But then on the other side of the coin, that one thing that you thought to yourself, why did I choose this of all weeks to watch all of WWE? So my avoid at all cost will be uh, Brooks and Dunn, Brooks Jensen with uh, Casey Catanzaro and what's her face uh, having their locker room awkwardness with, uh, with what's her face on top. That whole thing. Like I just wanted to burn it out of my brain to the point where I was just like, okay, I am going to remember this because I need to avoid this at all costs, which is counterintuitive to the whole point. But uh, yeah, avoid that. As for the guilty pleasure, 100% my guilty pleasure is Chad Gable chastising the crowd for booing education. That's gross, everybody. (laughs) It's a great line. It's a great line. Yes, Chad Gable, noted advocate for education, and he is great in this role. May they use him well in 2022. Scott, what are your picks for best and worst from WWE this week? I already said it last week, and I'm sticking with it. I'm skipping Sonya Deville until Black History Month. Um, <laughs> and so she gets her comeuppance. I will be, because I, I don't even believe that the match next week is actually going to happen because it's like two days before Black History Month. So I'll be skipping anything with Sonya Deville until I see any reason otherwise or any reason to believe that this storyline is not that she just doesn't like Naomi because she's a black female worker. I've been given no reason to not think that. So I'm, that's what I'm running with until I get a reason not to. So I'm skipping anything with Sonya Deville for the next, what's today, the 23rd, was we record this for at least eight more days. Yes. Um, as far as my, my guilty pleasure, last week I, I watched the Walters final match and it got me hooked onto NXT UK. So this week uh, I also watched the Steve Macklin Jonathan Gresham match with the pure rules so that kind of intrigued me with this Heritage Cup because they kind of, they have rules as well and it's a, just a different type of matchup so the A-Kid versus Noam Dar Heritage Cup match on NXT UK uh, six rounds three minutes apiece different rules two out of three falls really good match the first three rounds are a little slow as they kind of set the stage but those last three rounds are fantastic and the crowd is into it they build the near falls with the time going off and just an excellent match it it feels different than what you see on wwe throughout the week um and noam dar i mean good lord you want to talk about somebody who has completely changed his entire get up from where he was on the cruiserweight division from uh five years ago this guy looks great now i'm i'm shocked they haven't called him back up to the state or back up to the main roster or at least nxt but yeah that match for me was excellent i would go out of your way to watch that All right. So my guilty pleasure this week is Pat McAfee from SmackDown and the moment they they ran the ad for WrestleMania saying it's the most stupendous night of the year. Two nights at that. Pat fucking McAfee grabbed a Merriam-Webster dictionary 
he slammed it on the announcer desk and he quoted the definition and synonyms associated with stupendous as a call out to WWE and why must they market every goddamn thing using the biggest word possible to advertise WrestleMania and making Michael Cole crack on camera. That made me laugh. Pat McAfee is the gift that continues to give in WWE and God bless him for that. And did you uh, did you catch the last the second to last uh, synonym synonym that he used? He uh, he said dynamite. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, Pat! Pat works Pat, Pat, Pat's a- got to be in the conversation for best commentator, right? He's got to yes. be in the conversation. He's, he's, he's a national there. treasure. He's a national treasure. Yes, he is dynamite, and that's when Cole cracked at that exact moment. Like you really tried it, bitch, but. <laughs> And that's because he knows. He's like, I wish y'all would fire me. Like, fire me. Fire me. (laughs) Please. I I make money. This is fun for me. Yes, this is a hobby for me. I'm doing it for you, not like for me. Because I love this, but I get paid $30 million doing something else five days a week via betting and this radio show. But y'all do you. But Pat McAfee, my dude who keeps it real, the one man that Vince McMahon cannot completely corrupt on commentary. God bless you, Pat McAfee. As for my worst segment, I got to go with Jeremy and Brooks and Dunn flirting with Casey and Caden. That was just the dirt worst shit I saw. Wendy Chu from the lockers up top tried to save it, but this was bad. And I have now realized that NXT 2.0 is now a hybrid of Saved by the Bell, the college years, the new class, and the reboot. And I prefer the reboot on Peacock over all this shit in terms of the worst dialogue I've ever heard in my life regarding how to court a woman in 2022. Hey, Arnold had more depth than this. Arnold, the football head, had more game than Brooks and Dunn, but I digress. NXT, what, what do you say about Brooks and Dunn? I mean, what, what, what do you follow that up with for Brooks and Dunn? Like, if they're not singing the old dirt road, what they bring into the table? Nothing. They have no game. And it's sad, but it is what it is. And with that, thanks a lot, Brooks and Dunn. This wraps up a very entertaining and informative edition of The Wrap. And as always, I want to thank Scott and Jeremy for joining me every single time we get together. We workshop, we're a team makeover, we have laughs, and Jeremy is out finesse Scott in terms of being the advocate of Von Wagner this week. Scott, you got to get back on your game and you got to get your commission back after this because he really workshopped two checks for Von Wagner, who wasn't even on this show this week. Oh, that's good. He can workshop all he wants. I'm still getting my cut. So let them let them let them put that work in. Put that work in. I'm all for it. Collaboration (laughs) (laughs) is the word of the day. Collaboration. I'm not going to go into all the definitions of it, but thank you guys for joining me as always. And it's a busy week here on the wrap. We got the wrap. Special edition going down the Patreon this week featuring the throwback to the Warrior Rumble 2017. That is going to be a fun show we're going to be doing very, very soon for you guys on the Patreon. So drop those $5 right now. So close to 100 subs, a huge centennial landmark for all of us. So please drop those five for us and the whole crew. And we'll be back next Saturday and or Sunday morning via 
the free feed of Fight Game Media recapping the 2022 Warrior Rumble. Hopefully it's not going to be a long ass show, but knowing WWE, it will be. But for you, dear listeners, Scott and I will stay up all night long covering it just for you. We'll be here. We'll, 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 we'll be here. We'll be here for the whole thing. I'm even going to, I might even take some notes. Oh my God. It's going to be studious, y'all. <laughs> I'm going to have my Andre Chase uh, sweater on and I am going to have a teachable moment ready for everyone. Oh my God. Look what we've done. Education, y'all. It's not gross after all. <laughs> and <laughs> got to wrap it up with education. It's so important. Reading is always fundamental. But for myself and for Jeremy and for Scott, have a great week. Enjoy all the shows dropping via the Fight Game Media Network Plus and the free feed. Until next week, that's a wrap.